there ought to be a law. You ever think that? There ought to be a law. You know, usually we'll, we might play that game with some uh, friends and we'll focus on, you know, whatever little pet peeves we have that there ought to be a law about, you know, like the people who don't return their carts to the cart corral need about two lashes, you know, enough so they know we're serious. One issue with thinking there ought to be a law, there's already a lot of laws, you ever see the, you know, the, law, the laws, state of Missouri, United States, you ever see like the bound copies of the law? It takes up bookshelves, not small ones, big ones. Harvey Silvergate, a defense attorney, wrote a book pointing out that on average, a person, just the average American, will commit roughly three felonies in the course of a day. You think, felonies? You know, I don't go around robbing, killing people. Well... No, but there's a lot more felonies than that. You know, we got a bunch of people in Washington, Washington D.C. All they do is sit around thinking up stuff to make you illegal. So the end result is there's a lot of things against the law, and that's just here in the U.S. It is very, very easy to break the law, and I don't mean just using that long, thin pedal on the right. We may not recognize it, there's a lot of law. And when we seek God, we have to confront another law. Not the laws of our nation, not the laws of our state, but the law of Moses. The law that the Israelites were given. The Old Testament is based upon it, but what do we do with it today? If we believe that the Bible is the word of God, that includes the Old Testament. And if it's the word of God, well, shouldn't we obey it? That's, this is an issue that Christians have always been dealing with. Ever since that day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, incidentally, did you know today is the day of Pentecost? You know, 50 days after Easter, after the resurrection of Jesus, Pentecost, here we are. Don't nobody set your hair on fire. You know, if you want to speak in another language, you better have an interpreter. I've even started learning Russian. I'm still working on the, on, on, the, on the alphabet. That one's taken some work. We've always worried about what do we do with the law? And some of the first churches that were started by Paul had to deal with this. They were located in the central, re, in the central region of modern-day Turkey. It's called, they were in the region of what we call Galatia. The letter to them is called Galatians. And you would expect that a letter to this region would overflow with thanksgiving and appreciation for them. This is where Paul went on his first missionary journey. He started these churches. He's known them for years. You would think that this is going to be a friendly note intended to encourage the people. Hey, you remember me? We've been together, haven't we? Instead, Galatians is a letter Without the traditional Thanksgiving section, you see, Paul, when he writes letters, his letters follow a very specific format. Matter of fact, I even saw a meme about this a few weeks ago on the internet. It's, you know, letters of Paul, an outline. Point one. Paul writing to you, grace and peace. God has blessed us with innumerable riches in Christ. Point two, thank you for everything you're doing. Point three, would you idiots knock it off and follow Jesus properly? Point four, Timothy says hi. 
I mean, that's just a rough outline of Paul, all of Paul's letters. But you get to Galatians in that Thanksgiving section where he's talking about, I give thanks to God for you. It is completely absent here. And that is a sign to us that this book of Galatians is a little different. Its tone is not quite as happy. Paul launches into a critique of their behavior. What could have gone so wrong in this area? And the core of the issue is one that was significant. So much so that when it first came up, it demanded the first church council in the city of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 10, Peter baptizes Gentiles into Christ. Then Paul goes out and baptizes even more Gentiles. Now everybody says, wait a minute, up to this point, the church has been a Jewish thing. Only Jews have been baptized into Christ. Now if Gentiles are coming in, we have to figure out what we are. When the issue comes down to this, when Gentiles convert to Christ, should they also become Jews? Is Jesus just an add-on to Judaism? Or is Jesus himself sufficient to save? Do we say, are we saved by following the law with a little bit of Christ tossed in? Or are we saved by following Christ? That's a serious issue. And so the church met together, the apostles, the siblings of Christ, early Christians, and they talked about it, and they finally came down to this conclusion. Jesus is sufficient. Gentiles have no need to convert to Judaism. They don't have to follow the law. The only requirements placed upon these new believers were requirements intended to keep the peace with those from a Jewish background. We're going to have to find a way to get along, but we're not going to put upon you a burden that we couldn't bear and our ancestors couldn't bear. And some wonder if this letter to these Galatians was written about that time. That Paul is dealing with the same topic. He's attacking this idea that Jesus isn't enough. That the legalism of the law should apply to us too. And in this area of Galatia, they've been a fertile ground for this kind of legalism. And that's a problem. It's a problem for them. It's a problem for us. Look, we have a tendency to legalism. Because we have a, there's an issue with rules. Rules are very comforting. You know where you stand with a rule. You're driving down the highway. Are you worried about the cops? Well, how fast am I going? Speed limit 70. I'm doing 70. I'm good. And even if we don't follow them, rules can give us some kind of reassurance. We feel like if there's a law, it's handled. So that's why we want rules. That's why we say there ought to be a law. Something ought to keep us from, that ne from those negative portions of ourselves. And we think that the law can do that. So you have this, early group of, this group of early Christians. They are seeking to impose more rules on Christians. The Old Testament law. They can't let it go. They say, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to follow the law. Jesus is a Jew. So we're just kind of, you know, as Christians, tacking it on to Judaism. These groups were called Judaizers. If you're going to be a Christian, you got to be a Jew first to follow the law, follow the dietary rules, get circumcised, and so on. 
And Paul was really frustrated that these teachings were finding purchase in this region. So that's why the tone of this book is kind of negative toward them. I mean, you know, if you're writing to a bunch of friends, a bunch of people you love, would you write it like this in chapter 3? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected, being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it indeed was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's hitting them with this question, what matters? Is it Christ in his spirit or is it the law? How are we saved? He says, look, when amazing things happen among you, is it because people followed the law or is it because of the spirit of God in Christ? Which is it? Well, obviously he's saying it's by Christ. And if we are saved by Christ and we become like him through the Spirit, what is the point in following the law? What good does it do? It's just extraneous at that point. There's no reason to do so. But if we are saved by following the law, what's the point in Jesus? If we're saved by adherence to what Moses brought down from the mountain, why did God send his son? And here's the point at which we ought to get scared. If that's how we're saved, friends, God just sent his son to suffer and die for no purpose at all. Do we really want to serve a God who does that to his son? Now, I know a lot of y'all, I see people, a lot of parents with kids over there. It's refueling time, apparently, and... You know, <laughs> Couple of babies with the bottles. Over here, it's nap time, and not just among the little ones. So it's... <laughs> it's <laughs> you know, you look at your children, you know, you're, you know, it's not always great with kids. You know, sometimes they frustrate you, and then they become teenagers. And was it Mark Twain that said, you know, when a kid turns, uh, you know, 12 or so, they should be put into a barrel and fed through the hole, and, you know, then when they turn 15, you plug up the hole. It's... You know, I know I was a piece of work as a teenager. My parents will attest to that. I'm sure they were. But do we really want them to suffer that much to no purpose? No. You'd have to be pretty horrific to, to think that. So you see, when these people were saying, you know, we're, we, we need to follow the law, their theology is taking them places that completely undermines Christ, that completely destroys our relationship with God. And Paul is critiquing them because they don't understand that this, where this thinking is going. They may start out thinking something good. Well, the law is good. We should follow it too. But that frame of mind plots a course straight into the gates of hell because there's no longer a sacrifice in Christ. Do we have faith in Christ or do we do the works of the law? 
Well, if it's works of the law, there's no room for faith, no purpose in Christ. And you might say to yourself, you know, self, this sounds a lot like the book of Romans. Well, it does. He's dealing with the same topic both places. He's just kind of coming at it from a different direction. Galatians was probably written before Romans. So my guess is Paul's kind of working with this and then it's going to mull over in his head and it's going to kind of culminate in what he puts together in Romans where he talks about how we are saved to try to nip all this kind of thinking in the bud. Yeah, there's a problem. How are we saved? If the law is good though, why is there no room for it anymore? This is something we do have to deal with. We got a problem, no matter which way we come down with. And you know, Paul's clearly pointing out, look, we're saved by Christ. So then we do have to answer, what do we do with the law? But he gives us the solution to this question of law. The law is good, it has a role, but once we come to Christ, that role has been fulfilled. He talks about this in chapter 4, and he uses an image. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Paul's pointing out to us, Look, we don't have the shackles of the law anymore. We have freedom in Christ. And to point this out, he uses that image of an heir. Imagine a wealthy family. You know, trust funds and that type of thing. You know, I'm sure all of you had that type of stuff growing up. Yeah. You have a conservator, you know, who's over everything because, you know, you don't just want to turn a young kid loose with millions of dollars. That's not going to end well. So you have this minor child. Now, when I say minor, I don't mean M-I-N-E-R. You know, I mean M-I-N-O-R. You know, young, not, you know, helmet and pickaxe, even though, you know, Years ago, we, we sent kids into the mines, the salt mines, the coal mines, that type of thing. We got them out of there. That wasn't nice to them. But nowadays, you know what the favorite game is of a lot of kids? <laughs> Minecraft. The children, they yearn for the mines. <sighs> but we're not talking that kind of minor. We're talking just young. And a minor, you know, they can't, there are certain things they cannot do. They cannot sign contracts. They cannot do this. They cannot do that. Why? Because they're really not going to be able to do that wisely. They may be the beneficiary of the estate, but for a while that child will be the ward of others. Others will make the decisions for them. But when they finally reach adulthood, it will be theirs. And Paul says, here's where this is going. He says that for that, the law, it served that purpose for us. Humanity was guided by the law for a time, but we are in a new era now. Understand this and understand it well. Christ changed everything. It is impossible to overstate what Jesus has done. For now, by his death, by his resurrection, we find ourselves not children that need to be told what to do. Now we are 
children of the Most High. We are heirs together with Christ. We've been redeemed. We have God's Spirit living in us. We've got advantages. Abraham and Joshua and the heroes of the Old Testament could not have dreamed of. And I don't just mean air conditioning. We have the guidance of the Most High within us. Jesus lived under the law. He fulfilled the law so humanity can move past the law in order to maintain a relationship with God. That's why the law was given so we could have the very slightest glimpse of a clue that gave us a hint of what holiness actually is. You see, we can't really comprehend it. We're fallen. We're sinners. We don't know what holy is. But through the law, we started seeing just a tiny bit of it. But now we have seen it in the person of Jesus Christ. We know it so much better than if you write down do's and don'ts and hand it to us. We don't need the law for that relationship anymore. There was a time for the law. That time has passed because we are now under the sun, not under the law. We are saved by grace, accessed by faith in Christ, not by our own efforts that are measured by the law. What saves us? Folks, you don't start piling up good deeds until you hit the magic level and ding, now you're saved. You know, you're not running around and in heaven there's this thermometer looking chart and you know, you help somebody out and God, and God sends an angel to kind of color it in another little segment and then finally you do something good and all of a sudden the angel's like, woohoo, this one's saved, he's done enough good stuff. It's not how it works. No. No, Christ has done the work. We're not saved because we do the righteous things. We're saved because he's been righteous. We're not saved because of our sweat. We're saved by his blood. Christ the Son came so we could be adopted as children of God. Friends, that's not just an image. That's a reality. You always hear me calling out images in the Bible, and it's because God uses a lot of figurative language to get things across to us. Figurative language, language is wonderful. It's the best thing ever. Because it helps us understand things in ways that putting it very literally doesn't, doesn't get across. But friends, this is so much more than an image here. This is a reality. God has taken us and he has said, you are no longer rebels. He has said, you are now my children. You are with me. And adopted children, even though they're adopted, they're every bit as much a, a member of the family as a child by blood. You don't have one set of rights for the children that came from birth and another set of rights that come for the children that were adopted. No, they are all your children, legally, completely, truly. 
Friends, we are truly God's children. And that means we are heirs. And that means there is no longer any need for the law. It has accomplished its purpose. Does it mean the law is bad? No! Never said the law is bad. It just doesn't apply any longer. We're not beholden to it. We don't, ha- we don't have to police ourselves according to the Old Testament law. It's okay to bring carnitas to the church potluck, you know. It's, uh, we can eat the pork. Yay. Cook the pig and bring it to me. Yeah. <laughs> the law points out sin. It's just not binding. It helps us identify things. It teaches us about God but it does not govern our relationship with him. And for us to return to the law, to teach others to do it, it betrays the one who's died for us. It ignores what God has done for us. And it really annoyed Paul. I mean, you read through Galatians, you you start seeing Paul had had it up to here with all of this. Galatians 5.12 is one of those verse references that I've remembered for a long, long time. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Anybody who has been in service or in leadership to God has wanted to quote this more than once. Galatians 5.12. As for the troublemakers, I wish they'd go the whole way and cut it all off. Cut what off? Remember, he's talking circumcision. It's in the Bible. You want to know how frustrated Paul is? If they'd slip with a knife, it'd be fine with him. Boy, am I happy that we don't have to do that to convert to Christ. That is a part that I really don't want to be involved in. People come out of the baptistry, all right, here we go. No, thank you. Paul says there's just no benefit to it. There's no reason to follow the law like that. And folks, I think the reason that verse is there, and it annoyed Paul, I think it also annoys the Spirit of God. Because God knows what it means too. We are not beholden to legalism, to checklists leading to salvation. We belong to God. We are redeemed by Christ. We are set free from such things. Our righteousness is not performed so we can be saved. It's so we could become like the one who has saved us. Friends, our righteousness doesn't come first. His righteousness comes first. Ours comes later. But it's so comforting to go back to the laws and reach out for that legalism so we know where we stand. But we think that that legalism, these rules, are like a warm, comfy blanket when in fact it is a straitjacket. It feels like you're on track. But friends, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. Now, I'll admit, it's not often I run into Christians who are like, you know, we need to follow the law, we need to do all this stuff. You know, that just doesn't happen that often. It's not a real concern. I've met some like that, but it is rare. But I tell you, we are tempted to resort to legalism. We do want to take our own preferences and elevate them to a new type of law. And I see this a lot whenever there's an article that says, should Christians do X? 
whatever X is. And it is amazing, each one of these articles works the same way. I mean, I think all they do is just go into Microsoft Word, hit search and replace a noun or a verb. Should Christians do this? Well, they will examine the Bible, they will, ex- they will, they will go through it, and the real honest ones will say, well, there's no real biblical prohibition against it, but it's a bad idea, so no Christian shouldn't do it. And I'm like, dude, you have just jumped the Grand Canyon. Well, theological evil can evil on their preference cycle. Making gigantic leaps to places they shouldn't have gone. Because they usually say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us not to. But it's a bad idea anyway, no Christian shouldn't. And I'm like, dude, you have just become Mr. Legalist here. Chill. Go read Galatians again and get back to us. Because if we are using our preferences to lay down rules and we expect all other Christians to follow it, we are resorting to legalism. Okay, you've got a problem with something. You don't want to do whatever that X is. Fine, you don't do it. But you don't get to make that decision for others. You don't get to judge their Christianity and how they follow God based on that. That is not your place. Should Christians dance? Is dancing a sin? Well, no, might be when we do it, but no, I'm a bunch of white suburbanites. It's... Any of you remember Seinfeld and Elaine with how she danced? Yeah, nobody needs to see that. <sighs> Should Christians do it? Well, what's the Bible say? If it doesn't say anything, back off, bub. Because if we just start making those rules, we end up right back where we started, but just with different rules. Rules that won't save, rules that can't save, and only get in the way of being saved by Christ. So what Paul is trying to get across to these Galatian Christians, I think it's what he'd get across to us a couple thousand years later. He's telling them, follow Christ. Christ didn't die so we'd pay attention. He didn't die so we'd pay attention to the law. He died so that we might be forgiven because he is the center of our faith, not rules. The author and perfecter of our faith, friends, is the son of God, not a couple tablets of stone. It always amuses me when people get all wound up talking about 10 commandments. We ought to put 10 commandments here, put 10 commandments there. Look, 10 commandments are just fine. You know, I, I know why they don't want the Ten Commandments you know, put in Congress. It's because it would make it a hostile work environment for all the politicians. They don't want to be reminded of any of that. But you know how many people have been saved by following the Ten Commandments? <laughs> Not any. Goose egg. Zero. Zippo. Nada. Yet. No, we are saved by following Christ. So rather than exploring the rules, we get to rejoice in God's grace. See, that's the amazing thing about God's grace. We might say, wait, what about the rules? Without the rules, I don't know where to stand. I might do something wrong. What happens if I put a foot wrong? Get this, God is a gracious God. Amen. 
Well, what if I do wrong? God's a gracious God. He's not waiting to jump out from behind a rock and get us. He wants to have grace and mercy. So we don't have to feel and be constrained by the rules lest we put a foot wrong. No, we are free to serve him, to throw off the shackles that kept us from serving him. We can step out and say, this is what I'm going to do for God because of look at what he's done for me. It's freeing. We get to be glad and rejoice. Our salvation doesn't rest on rules. It rests on Jesus who died for us. Friends, our salvation, the work has been handled. It is not in doubt. It is complete. It is done. We are not waiting for the paperwork to come in. Friends, we are saved through Christ. Through Christ. And the grace that comes from him. So we can be transformed. No, we are not saved by our actions, but our actions change to reflect the Christ who has saved us. Keep that cause and effect straight. You are not saved because you do right. You do right because you are saved. God does these. God has done this for us. So we do this for him. We're not trying to get ourselves put right before we come to him. He's already done all the put writing. Or is it putting right? Putting writing? I don't know. Pudding. Mm, pudding sounds good. No. <laughs> Butterscotch. No. <laughs> yeah, preacher gets hungry too. <laughs> no, God has set things right in his son. And we follow him because of what he's done for us. Not because of what we did for ourselves, but because of what he did for us. We now serve him. Oh, it feels good not to worry about it, doesn't it? Isn't it nice to be able to... <sighs> it's handled. To not have to worry about anything. Friends, with our salvation, we don't have to worry. In Christ, it's handled. We come to him and it's done. And then we go forth serving him freely without worry, knowing that we serve a gracious God. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, you, you, you have saved us in your son, Jesus. You have done the work. You have shed your blood so that we might be saved. Lord, we thank you. Draw us to you. Help us not to worry, not to try to come up with rules or legalistic stuff, but Lord, help us to be free that we can serve you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.